Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Sleep. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials in Atlanta. And in this episode, we catch up with Kellen Taylor, who recently ran exceptionally well at the New York City Marathon. And we touch on a lot of things, including her fantastic training leading into the race, uh, basically being at the peak fitness level where she has ever been, running a race that is... I think it was the fifth best American time ever at that race. So she obviously ran very, very well, but at the same time, not quite to the level of her perceived fitness level and the goals she had coming into the race. So we talk about that, that paradox, um, and how she perceives the race after the fact and a whole lot more. So let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Kellen. Hello, Kellen, and welcome back to the show. Hey, happy to be back. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, obviously, you just had, didn't say just had, but you know, a little over a week ago, you had uh, the New York City Marathon, where you came in right after Des and the fifth best American woman's time in the history of the marathon. I guess, first things first, now that you've had some time to think about it and kind of like, you know, yeah, I think we've all had the situation where post race we have a certain feeling, and then after the you know a little bit of downtime, our feelings may have shifted. Has that happened for you at all? How would you gauge how you feel now about the race than how you felt, say, you know, half an hour after you finished? You know, I don't. I don't usually tend to shift how I feel, like exact right after the race, and then weeks later. Um, I'm kind of hard on myself. So I kind of look at it uh, from like, did I hit the goal that I set out to hit? And the answer for that was no, I did not. Um, so looking at it from that standpoint, I was, I guess, disappointed, which is kind of silly. Um, but I do realize that it was a good time, which is exciting um, on a hard course. And to be the fifth fastest by an American ever is pretty cool. So there's good takeaways from it that I'm able to see. But, you know, big picture was, you know, try and get on that podium. And I wasn't able to do that. Um, so all in all, it was solid, but certainly not not a day that I dreamed of. Right. Yeah. I, I can see where you're coming from, where you have like things that you, you know, can, can value moving forward in terms of how it stacks up against other runners and um, things like that. But also you ha- you came in with a specific goal and then that didn't come to fruition. So at what point in the race... I know you know we we can go into the race more specifically later on, but when you're in that situation where you have an A goal, especially one that's you know connected to other runners about like regarding a place uh, or placing within the field, are you kind of at, at certain points like say in this race, did you view it like okay that goal is gone, I need to refocus, or what? What's your relationship to that goal in real time as the race progresses? You know, I don't know if I really necessarily even thought about that a whole lot during the race, which might've been my first mistake. Um, you know, I just was racing and I was in the moment and, you know, trying to get from A to B as fast as I can, but also be trying to be smart about it. Um, so, you know, when Des made that, that move, I did go with it cause she started fast, you know, New York doesn't usually start fast and it started really fast because of her. Um, and I stayed with them for a while. And then I was like, yeah, I turned to Sarah Hall cause she was right next to me. And I was like, what are you trying to run? <laughs> and she was like, ah, I don't know. 
And I was like, well, and she asked me what I was trying to run. And I was like, I don't know, not 520 pace, because that's what we were running. Um, so, you know, it was at that point where I kind of looked at it and I was like, I don't know if this is smart. Um, you know, if I would have went with that, how would it ended up? I don't know. You know, that's kind of one of those what ifs. Um, but I think at that point, I think it would have been safe to say that that's when the main goal kind of escaped me. And then are there certain, I guess, with a marathon and with the idea of like, you never quite know what people are going to do in a race, right? There's certain people who, you know, you, you can kind of view as, all right, they're very consistent. You kind of know what you're going to get. Someone like Des, you know, who's, who's been, you know, her consistency is kind of one of the hallmarks of her career. I guess Meb is the same way. I was rewatching the 2016 Olympic trials and it was funny. Those guys were talking about Meb and they're like, Hey, you know, like one thing's for sure. Like you could just like, you could just race off him because you know, he's going to be consistent. And he's going to judge his effort correctly. Like when you think about maybe some of the women who are ahead of you or in other races, does it ever, does it ever, do you ever feel like someone could be in front of you, but all of a sudden that, you know, that they could just be coming back to you, even if you don't increase the pace? Like how much do you judge them potentially losing speed and not necessarily you gaining speed? Um, I don't know if I ever really honestly think about that a whole lot. Not just not from like an individual person standpoint. I mean, I kind of thought that with the pace being so hot that first half of New York, that people would be coming back a little bit or at least kind of dying, I guess, in a sense. Um, and we did see that, you know, uh, not quite as much as I maybe had expected, but we certainly saw it. Um, and sometimes that doesn't happen at all. People will just maintain and you're like, well, <laughs> guess I should have went, but you know, you can't, can't change some, something that's already happened. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's dive into exactly what race week looked like for you. When did you come into town and what were the couple days how would the what did the couple of days before the race look like for you in regards to you know being able to like stay off your feet versus different um, media availability and kind of being out and about within just the the marathon week festivities? Sure. Um, well, we got into town Wednesday evening. A pretty easy flight from Flagstaff to I don't know connecting somewhere and then flying into New York. Um, I was with my husband, my daughter, and then our little foster boy and. You know, it went, I guess, as easy as you could expect it to go with an eight-month-old and a nine-year-old. So not very easy. That's how I, I'm about to hop on a plane tomorrow with a four and a seven-year-old, and I am dreading it. So when you say as good as it could have gone, I'm like, oh, that's a pretty high bar to clear, even, even, you know, even if it does go well. Yeah, it's certainly, certainly more work. Um, But, you know, we did it, and then we managed, and I didn't see it as a huge hindrance to my week as a whole. so we got there, kind of settled in a little bit, and the next day was Halloween. So, you know, we had to do things. Um, my family actually left to do some touristy stuff with my parents. So I kind of had the day to do um, ob- some obligations that I had. Um, we had a press conference thing, and then I think I did a podcast that day as well. Um, Lindsay Hines live podcast. Um and then, yeah, that evening, I kind of was anticipating my daughter and husband and the little one coming back so that we could go out and trick or treat, um, not even really knowing what to expect in New York City. But they got back so late that it was kind of like, we didn't really get to trick or treat. <laughs> I dressed her, I dressed her up, like put on her makeup, put a little bear nose on the, the little guy and 
we went out and like walked to the convenience store that was a half mile away and bought candy. <laughs> and that oh, was <laughs> that was her Halloween. She was kind of bummed. Oh my gosh, that's such a bummer, but obviously it's also understandable. So like how much again, now I got to ask, how much candy do you buy at the convenience store in that situation? <laughs> when you think about like obviously like you have some parental guilt, right? You got that going on. She's looking at like probably a whole smorgasbord of candy. What what's the move there as a parent? <laughs> um <laughs> I just kind of let her get whatever she wanted and she cut herself off. I think she got like three bags of random like miscellaneous candy. Um, and you know, I think that it was gone by the time we left New York, which is really sad. Um, it wasn't all her though. It was like my family and my husband, I had a little bit. Um, so, you know, it was, it was shared. Um, it worked. I mean, you know, not great, but we salvaged. She was still, still, I still did the makeup and like, she still got to walk around, which was what she wanted. You know, she wanted people to see her zombie face and she got to do that. There you go. See, because you really don't know what you're going to expect, right? There was a chance that, like, it could have been amazing. Like, you could have, like, stumbled across something and been like, wow, this is great. Or it could have just been, like, going to the convenience store. I guess you never really know in that stage. But it's like, you, I know exactly what you mean. I once had that at Easter. We went down to D.C. to visit my, my brother's young family. And on the way, our child got an ear infection, like, halfway in the drive. I guess it, like, fully bloomed so then we did easter in our hotel room which was like a half mile from my brother's house which is like where we planned on doing it but we weren't sure what the infection was or the, the colds we were worried about like getting their newborn sick with some sort of contagion so we're like oh my god we drove eight hours with a screaming child to do easter in a hotel room like this is not <laughs> the plan <laughs> but you just do it. Anyway. You just do what you can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You do what you can. So, but you, as you mentioned, like you got, you got your foster, you got your foster baby as well in tow. So, which kind of is a big, you know, obviously is a huge deal for you and your family. And I have to ask, as you're preparing for the marathon, you obviously have your build up, and you, you know, have put a lot of, you know, again. Pardon the the word the, the word choice here, considering what we were just talking about, but a lot of eggs in that basket. And then you, know, you your foster baby comes through. What was the the schedule and timeline for his arrival in your family? Um, you know, and just where where how does that how does that scheduling work for you? Because I know with certain families, the process can be longer than for others. Sure. Um, you know, with ours, it's always just been like a call. It's been emergency situation, so you, we never know when it's going to happen. Um, and that happened. This one happened to happen the Friday before our last big workout. Um, so our 15 mile steady state that we did. And, you know, he was seven months at the time when we got him and didn't really know how he slept. Um, he was used to being breastfed. I obviously couldn't do that. So he was learning how to eat out of a bottle, just completely, a completely new environment world for him. Um, and then obviously for us having to do all these new things with a, an infant, which we hadn't have had since my daughter was that age. Um, so it definitely threw, I guess, a wrench in things, um, but was a choice. We chose to make it and, you know, knew the timing of it and, you know, still said yes. And it, it was great. So, you know, he came on Friday. I think I had my last big workout on Sunday. Um, I made my husband sleep in the other bedroom where his crib is so that I didn't have to get up in the middle of the night. And he, he was great about it and was like, yeah, I'll do that. Um, 
and the workout went fantastic. So, you know, all in all, it worked out pretty well. Um, he was, he was okay when we were in New York. <laughs> um, the first two nights he, he was, it was rough. So I think in the middle of the night, Friday night, when we were in New York, I was like, you guys are out of here. <laughs> you guys can't stay here <laughs> the next two nights. Um, so he, they, him and my daughter ended up staying with my parents one evening. And then the race was gracious enough to give us another room the day before the race. So it worked out really well. In foster care, um, what, 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 what for you was the biggest motivator for, I shouldn't say for you, but you and you, you and your husband and your family, um, to get involved in that and to make that a part of your life? I mean, there's a huge need for it. You know, I think that as a whole, there are so many kids out there that just are in bad situations. You know, sometimes they need to leave that situation completely and never go back. And sometimes their parents just need a little bit of help. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, if we can help aid in that in some way, um, it's pretty special, you know, help them for as long as we can. I think that our ultimate goal is to adopt at some point, but it obviously needs to be the right situation. Um, you know, they always tell us when we were doing our training that uni reunification is the primary goal. Um, you know, you want to see the kids go back to their family, um, but sometimes that just isn't what's best for them. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I know that the, the people in my life who are foster parents, you know, they, you know, it, it's, it's a big deal for them. And, and they, you know, they really, it, it, it feels much, it feels like a calling the way they describe it um, in terms of the, the emotions and the word choice they use. And they view it, you know, not unlike, um, you know, when someone has something that they're just so passionate about that they can't stop talking about it. The foster parents, I know, kind of view it in the same light. Um, in terms of that, they can't imagine not doing it once they started. Right. I mean, it's certainly an eye-opening experience. I mean, I won't say that it's all good. There's definitely uh, challenging aspects to it. Um, the system is flawed, in my opinion. But, you know, you just do what you can. You can only control what what you can control. You know, you can't control everything. So from my from my point of view, it's just give these kids as good of a life as you can for as long as you have them. And if it ends up being something that's permanent, fantastic. If it's something that, you know, you have them for a month or two months or, you know, four months, a year, then, you know, at least they had that time to where they were able to grow and, you know, have, have a good life. So one podcast that I heard recently was a live show the same, during the New York City week as well that Chris Chavez did with one of your teammates, Scott Fobble, in which, I don't know if you heard this, um, in which Scott basically started like throwing some serious shade your way and said, Kellen is Hi, ruining right? everything. Oh, yeah. It's serious <laughs> shade. And I shouldn't even say shade. It was, it was pretty overt because he was basically <laughs> like, she's ruining it for everybody. And Chris is like, I have no idea what that means. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, all right, here's the deal. He goes, obviously you have to like adjust pace, like my workouts to Kellen's. He goes, but she's doing work that I know in my next marathon buildup, I won't be able to do. He goes, she's 
doing these monster runs. And then at the end, putting in like a hard 5K at the end, he goes, and now I know what's happening. I know Ben Rosario's sitting there. I'd be like, well, if Kellen did it, then obviously everyone else can do it. He goes, and she's ruining it for everybody. And I want everyone to know that she is doing this and I do not approve. So <laughs> I guess first things first, do you have a response to this, these, this harsh criticism from your teammate? I don't know. I guess all I could say is step up, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he actually, I didn't hear that actual podcast, but he has, he did tell me that to my face. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, so let, let's dive into that a little bit. If you can think back, and again, you've run many marathons now and you've been very fit many times. When you were progressing through the last two months or so leading into New York, did it feel like you were doing workouts that you hadn't done in the past? Um, there were a couple, absolutely. Um, and they were just basically ones that I had done before. And, you know, the cycle, I did them faster. So very easy to kind of see where the progress was. But then we been through in a couple of weird ones, which we had never done before. So when he does that, I don't really have anything to gauge it off of. So I'm like, I don't know. Was that good? Is it good? I have no idea. It was okay. Um, so you know, there were, there were times when it was like, yes, you're very fit. And then other times where it was like, I don't know, that was probably just as good as anything else I've done. Do you have a preference? Do you like having ones that are a little bit more randomized or ones that you feel like you can do some sort of comparison with other times that you've done similar workouts? I like being able to compare. Um, but I also didn't, I really liked the ones that he threw in this segment. Um, so I guess I kind of like some variation as well. Um, you know, the ones that he did this segment that were kind of different, he, there was three that I could think of like that were very different and they were all very hard. Um, there was 12 by a K with five K like as fast as I could do it at the time. Um, I'm kind of a rolling, rolling course at the end of those 12 K there was eight by a mile with fast five K at the end. And then there was four mile tempo, 10 mile alternating between tempo and a minute slower and then four mile all continuous back to your tempo pace um and they were they were good workouts i think it was, i think it was the 12 1k repeats was the one that scott referenced specifically in his interview so when you did that one for instance how fast are you running um those 1k repeats and i say that in terms of like kinds of effort like is that half like half marathon effort marathon effort threshold pace like what what exactly um does that look like before you get into the 5k um i'm not sure what pace it actually equates out to but i think i was averaging like 322 pace um maybe for those k's at 7300 feet um and then the 5k after i didn't think this was a particularly great workout i got through it but i didn't think it was great um the 5k i ran at the end um was 1704 um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't think that one was that good. <laughs> <laughs> so when, um, when do you and Ben, uh, when, when did you and Ben, um, come up with your uh, race strategy for New York? I think that it was before we even started the segment. Um, like the whole thought with the segment was like, get on the podium. You know, that's always kind of our, our goal is to be on the podium at a world marathon major. Um, kind of putting ourselves in it with the best people. But before the actual race, so I don't know, I think the a couple of days before I left, um, maybe Monday, race week, 
he talked to me and he was like, you know, you can't be stupid, basically. You know, you can't go out and be running 515, 520 pace and then expect to still have something left when you get to the hilly part of New York, which is the second half. Um, so when the race was doing that, you know, we were clicking off 520s. I was like, meh, this isn't what I'm supposed to do. And I don't really want to be in that situation when I'm going into Central Park or, you know, with the last five or six miles where it's really not not the easiest course, um, not having anything left. And you've had other races where Ben has given, maybe may not phrase it the same way, where Ben has given you similar instructions about kind of like try to be cautious in the beginning, you know, so you can really kind of, you know, speed up it later in the race where you haven't necessarily heeded that advice and kind of gone out harder than maybe expected or had been originally planned out. So what do you think, what, what in these circumstances led you to do just that as opposed to other races where maybe um, you kind of went, went a different direction? I mean, the memory of those other races, because none of them went particularly well. Um, you know, I think back to like Prague, that was the most miserable marathon that I've done to date, with the exception of Boston. Um, it was just a grind the whole entire way, which is not what you want for a marathon. Like it can be hard, but you don't want it to be hard, you know, 10 miles in. That's a long ways to go still. Um, and that was really the situation with that one. So just kind of being um, cognizant of how I felt then and not make, making sure that I didn't do it again. I mean, a marathon's hard. It's always going to hurt at the end, but you can do some things to make it not quite as crummy. So when you were running with Des, so you finished three seconds behind her and there's some iconic photos of you and her just past the finish line. When you're in that situation where you're with another person, especially someone that you know fairly well, um, how much of you is trying to engage how you're feeling and manage your own um, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, and how much of you is trying to get a read on how the other runner is doing, or you know, in cases where maybe you're in a pack, trying to gauge the other efforts, um, just so that you can kind of be aware of moves that you can make, or being you know hip to moves that they may make. I mean, I think at that point in the race, you know, we probably had a couple miles left to when I was actually I had good focus of her and was like, yeah, I can maybe get her, um, but at that point. We were both just trying to get to the finish, you know. I did. I didn't have a kick per se. Um, was I making ground on her? Absolutely. If I had another minute, would I have caught her? Yeah, probably. Um, but you know, I think that it's just trying to do what you can with the space that you have left. And um, I didn't have enough to catch her, but I think Ben said I made up like fifteen or so seconds in the last, I don't know, mile or so which isn't, isn't too shabby. Um, yeah, I don't know. It would have been nice so, to have caught her. <laughs> yeah, no, of course, of course. And, and you know, when you think back to how well you ran in New York, if you can just take out your place, just take that completely out of the picture and just say, how, how strong was my effort in a vacuum? You know, wh- how would you, how would you grade yourself either using like you know, a number scale or the A, B, you know, like, like a, like a school scale. Um, how would you grade your effort overall in terms of, you know, being able not only to run a fast time, but managing your energy levels and, and things like that? Um, I think I'd give myself like a B, you know, there were certainly, I don't, 
I don't know if I would have done a whole lot different. I just wish that I had had a little bit more left in the tank come the last, you know, 5K or so, which is kind of what we were practicing in those workouts, you know, with the fast 5Ks at the end. Um, I wish I could have kind of uh, channeled that, I don't know, that memory of what that felt like. Not that I wasn't running hard, as hard as I could at that time. Um, So I thought, but I think there was probably still something left in there. So moving forward, is there anything from this buildup or race that you will either, you know, take with you and say, okay, this was something that we can learn from and continue to include in the next buildup or the other end of the spectrum and say, okay, maybe there's an area of our training or racing that, you know, we can learn from and try to do better next time. Um, you know, I think, I think Ben will definitely t- carry over that having those hard efforts at the end of a workout that don't really have a time a time goal is just do what you can do because that's, you know, the end of a race. It's going to be hard. It's going to suck. And you're going to want to try and go as fast as you can. Um, so that's definitely going to carry over, um, in regards to like race strategy. Um, you know, the trials is a completely different, different ball game. Um, I think that you kind of have to be in it from the beginning in order to be in it at the end. So, it's going to be a, it'll be a different race. You know, if they go, I'm going to go. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think that a lot of people are going to be, you know, trying to figure out from a race strategy perspective, you know, where they you know can see themselves in that mix. Right. Cause you're somebody who like, you just framed it as if they're going to go, I'm going to go. But at the same time, you're also the caliber of runner who, if you decided you could be the one dictating the pace. So when do you guys start talking about those and approaching the, the race strategy um, in regards to planning for Atlanta? I mean, I don't think we're going to really talk about race strategy until we get pretty darn close to the race. Um, you know, we're going to do the work. We're going to put in everything that we need to put in in order to be ready on the day um, and for whatever situation arises. You know, I think that in order to do well in Atlanta, you're going to have to train for the course and you're going to have to be strong. Um, obviously, you have to be a good runner but you have to be able to run those hills. Um, and I think that when it comes down to it, there's only, you know, 12 or so people that will end up being in that big pack that will be able to actually hang for a decent amount of time. Um, so just kind of, you know, I will discuss it absolutely, but I don't think that it's anything crazy is going to happen. Um, that's going to completely dictate the race from somebody that you wouldn't expect. Well, Kellen, first of all, congratulations. I know it wasn't exactly what you were looking for, but fifth fastest American ever at the New York City Marathon. That is one heck of an accomplishment. That's for sure. What does the next you know, three or four weeks look like for you um, in regards to recovery and starting to get back into it? Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I kind of told myself before New York that I was going to take I was going to take November. This is like my month to just kind of recover, recoup. You know, I'm, I've started running again. I was I ran like half of the week last week and have been running every day this week. Um, but just nice and nice and slow and short. Um, but, you know, this month is just kind of about me feeling recharged, I guess, in a sense. So drinking the wine, eating the food, doing the things that maybe I wouldn't normally do. We're going to actually go to Disneyland for Thanksgiving and just kind of relax. Um but, you know, slowly building mileage, um, 
and then starting to really get into it when December starts and, you know, focusing on all the things that I need to focus on and channeling the diet and cutting out some of that wine and getting ready for the big show. And any races on the calendar in preparation for Atlanta? I think that we're going to do um, a workout of sorts at a race in Phoenix in January, just a half marathon. Um, but that's the only that's the only thing. Nice. So pretty close. It seems like the vast majority of the elite field, maybe not vast majority, but a, a good number of the elite field will be in Houston doing that half. Um, was there any thought to doing that or was it just the idea of staying local was just going to be a better fit? Um, well, one of my teammates is doing it. Um, I think that it certainly would have been an option if I had wanted to do it, but I think I kind of found out last segment that I kind of suck at racing in the midst of a segment. Um, you know, I ran that 10 mile and it went horribly. Um, so, you know, I think I'm better off just kind of, uh, hunkering down and doing the training, the bread and butter and the stuff that I'm good at, um, while I'm in the thick of it and just prepping you know there you go all right Kellen. thanks for hopping on the show and good luck dropping that that little cold you got going on and can have fun at disneyland thank you kellen again thank you for hopping on the show it's always so much fun to speak with kellen um not only because she is absolutely one of the best marathoners out there but she's you know considering all the time that she spends doing this with the people she's running with and the coach who she has, you know, that, that whole Nazalie team trains in a very public way. Among them, Kellen's training is probably one of the more private of the group. So it's always nice to catch up with her uh, after the fact and really dive into what she's doing, how she's doing it and how she feels about it. So again, we have one more recap coming up. The next episode uh, regarding recaps will be with Jared Ward, who also ran very, very well in New York. That will come out within the next week. So with that being said, I hope you have a wonderful day and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution.